0: This is the Dan Grasso Show on 98.7 ESPN. Friday to one and all. Friday the 13th, as a matter of fact, 2023. Hope everybody is having a great one. Dan Grasso Show, we are back on this football Friday. 800-919-3776. That is the telephone number we're taking here right up until 9 o'clock. Then we're going to hand things over to Anita. She's got the weekend wager. We've got Chantel, and we've got Harvey, who couldn't wait to be part of one of these Football Fridays himself, so Harvey holding things down tonight as well. Remember, you could tweet at me, at Dan Grossa, G-R-A-C-A. So, we didn't have a show the last couple of nights, right? Rangers, playoff baseball, and when you don't do a couple of shows, it feels like you haven't been on in like two months or something. At least that's what it feels like to me. Like, you miss a day, it feels like you miss forever especially during the football season, especially where there's so many things going on day in and day out here. So it's good that we're back, and next week's schedule is going to be a little bit all over the place as well, so stay tuned with that. But we're here tonight, full show, usual cast of characters. we got Buttle coming on later at 8 o'clock to talk a little Jets. we got Jordan in the 8 o'clock hour to do some Giants, and, boy, are they all banged up, getting ready to go up to Buffalo. We'll do our NFL picks. So everything that we usually give you on the football Friday is going to be there for the taking here coming up tonight but you start with the two football teams in anticipation of what they have ahead of them coming up this weekend and I think it goes without saying and you try to put this as mildly as possible that you have the Jets you have the Giants and going into the games this weekend they're both going to be essentially punching uphill right but the difference is is that one of these teams is going to be trying to go about doing so with one hand tied behind their backs and that's clearly the Giants, who going up to Buffalo to play in primetime on Sunday night football when those fans have probably been out in the parking lot tailgating for about eight, nine hours, that's going to be a challenge ordinarily. But when you go up there with the MASH unit that the New York football Giants currently are, well, then that just complicates matters even there so, even more so. And look, this could be ugly for the Giants on Sunday night right? This could be ugly. And there's already been a few games so far this season where we kind of have reiterated the same script for the Giants leading into the game. The first one to me was that 49ers game on that Thursday night. The quick turnaround even after Arizona and the fact that the Giants were going to be missing some players like Saquon Barkley and the like. You knew that it was going to be tricky because the Niners are an elite football team. And then they went out there and basically played like it. And then that Seattle game that came after that, you thought that, all right, they might have a chance to regroup. They would have to regroup if they were going to make something out of this season. Problem for the Giants was that might have been even uglier. And that was real when you just kind of discounted any sort of possibility for this football team the rest of the way and thinking that, boy, you know, how much worse can it get, right? Then you go to Miami last week, and you know that confidence wasn't very high going into that game, given what you were bringing down there. And the game kind of played itself out that way. Even when the Giants made it close late in the second quarter on the defensive pick six there with Pinnock, he still didn't think they really and truly had a chance. And now you have this game. And to say that it could get ugly is not doing it justice. You know, because, and I apologize if I'm offending anybody by putting it in these terms. How bad this game gets might only be up to the Buffalo Bills. And how much mercy... They want to show the Giants. For real. And when Sean McDermott decides to take his foot off the gas pedal towards his old buddy Brian Dayball. Because I don't know how man for man the Giants can go up there and compete with the Buffalo Bills. Giants are going to be going up there, at least on the offensive side of things, and fielding a starting lineup which more resembles the final preseason game as opposed to week six in the National Football League on Sunday Night Football. Like, this could get really, really bad. They're depleted with injuries. And now the quarterback has finally paid the price playing behind what is probably the worst offensive line in the NFL. And look, you knew that Daniel Jones wasn't playing. If you just kind of read into Brian Dayball's words earlier in the week, you knew that he was not going to be able to go against the Buffalo Bills coming up this week. It's just like Brian Dayball sounded going into that 49ers game after Saquon Barkley got hurt against Arizona. Remember? And then we came on that Monday, Tuesday, whatever it was. Like, oh, look, he didn't rule out Saquon. But you didn't really think Saquon could play, especially with that quick turnaround. And what happened? Saquon didn't play. He didn't play at all. And that was really kind of what you heard from the coach talking about the quarterback earlier this week. He's not going to make Buffalo's job any easier. And he's under no obligation to say, you know, five days before the game whether his starting quarterback is going to be in there or not going to be in there. But you knew the wise thing to do would be holding Daniel Jones out, especially when you're dealing with a neck injury, a neck injury that has plagued this guy earlier in his career. So no Daniel Jones, Aziz Ojolari, Andrew Thomas, Matt Purr, John Michael Schmitz. Pretty reputable cast of characters, I would say. Then you got others who we don't even know if they're going to be available or not, like Saquon Barkley, who we haven't seen since the second week of the season. Right? Evan Neal. Mr. Burgers. We don't know if he's going to play. Darren Waller's questionable, for crying out loud. But see, here's the thing about the offensive line. And whenever you try to think about, well, you know, how are these guys going to try to hold things together and what type of an effort are you possibly going to get from this group? Remember that even when this offensive line was intact, even when they were whole, they still weren't any good. So why should we be shocked by this, right? The starting offensive line for the New York Giants looked overwhelmed in the first week of the season against the Dallas Cowboys. So now Tyrod Taylor He wins the prize. They picked his name out of the hat this week. He's the one that gets to go up to his old stomping grounds in Buffalo and essentially run for his life behind a depleted offensive line against an angry Buffalo Bills team, right? One that had to fly across the pond from the U.K. and drop the game that they probably felt like they should win against the Jacksonville Jaguars. Lost a couple of important defensive players in that game as well. So they're angry they're crusty, they're ornery, and they were going to take it out on the Giants. It's is exactly what they're going to try to do. Throw in the fact that the Giants, by the way, have not scored an offensive touchdown in the last two games. So what leads you to believe that this cast of characters are actually going to be able to get it done coming up on Sunday night? Just don't see it. And I know all the analogies and the cliches, and everything you want to throw out into the universe about any given Sunday, anybody can be beat. Yeah, that's true. It's true, except this Sunday, except in that building, and except on Sunday night. And I don't think I'm going out on a limb and saying this. Okay, look at what Vegas thinks of this game. Last time I checked, what was it, Buffalo minus 15? 15! I mean, those are the type of point spreads you get, Ordinarily, if you're talking about a tanking team that has like one win late November, early December against going up against, you know, maybe the best team in the NFL, not week six, no team is supposed to be bad enough this early in the season to where they deserve to be a two touchdown underdog. I don't care if the game is home, away, on Mars, it doesn't matter because remember, we're not even talking about the Buffalo Bills as a first place football team. Right? They're 3-2. and They're coming off of a loss. So Buffalo, who's lost two games off a defeat, is a two-touchdown favorite against this Giants squad. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Now, if you want a glimmer of hope, do you want a glimmer of hope? Because I'm not just going to sit here and rain on the Giants parade all night. I'm not going to do that. It's not fun. The glimmer of hope is, well, the defense is fairly in one piece, right? You take that with the end of the game. I mean, the Giant defense is pretty much intact, and it's going to have to be up to them to keep this one interesting. I'm not even going to say close. Keep it interesting. Remember, they forced turnovers last week in the Miami game. A couple of bounces of the ball. You never know what could happen. Like Jason Pinnock last week. Bounce of the ball, went the Giants' way. Took it 102 yards to the house for a pick six. That's all you got to do. But you got to do that a couple of times. But you're playing the right quarterback, too, right? Josh Allen is somebody that is known to put the ball up for grabs. And who's more familiar with Josh Allen and essentially almost every guy on that Buffalo offense than the head coach of the football Giants? Josh Allen had his greatest success when Brian Dayball was up there, coordinating the offense, calling plays for the quarterback working with him day in and day out. So how does that come into play here this week? Well, I'm, I'm sure that Brian Dayball was in on those meetings a little bit with Wink Martindale when Wink was putting together the defensive game plan. Here's what Josh Allen likes to do. Here's what he's good at. Here's what he's not so good at. You have to use that to your advantage. You have to. That's all you got right now. But everything is still going to have to go absolutely according to plan if the Giants want to even hang around in this game going into the second half. Because all the components add up to just a slaughter on national TV. And look, it's bad when you lose any given week. But when it's in prime time and everybody's watching, you know, and they don't have Taylor Swift to switch to in the crowds. You know, the camera can't be showing Taylor Swift up in the box. That's not going to happen this week. So this is going to have to be about football. And I don't know how many other different angles they could talk about with the Buffalo Bills and the New York Giants here to keep you entertained for three and a half hours. I don't know how that's going to happen. And the ironic part about the whole thing is, you know, next week the Jets are having a bye week. Which is kind of early. You know, even talking to a lot of the players, they wouldn't prefer it this early. Giants probably need a bye right now. More than any other team in organized football, high school, college, pro, you name it, CFL, doesn't matter. They could use a week away from the game, from the routine, from everything. And the Giants aren't having a bye week until December the 3rd. I mean, you talk about the cruelties of the NFL schedule. And look, they had no idea when they assigned the Giants the bye week that late in the year. They didn't know that they were going to be besieged with injuries to the extent that they have so far this year. But this is the reality now. And as we always like to say, the league ain't feeling sorry for you. None of these teams are feeling sorry for you. You got to go out there and compete because you know what this game is for the Buffalo Bills? This is what they call one of those get right games. Right? Get right. A couple weeks ago, Buffalo had a great victory on that field against the Miami Dolphins. They finally, somebody finally shut down that high-powered Dolphins attack. And then all of a sudden, Buffalo's the team to beat in the AFC. Buffalo's the team to beat in the AFC East. They're the class of the division. And then what do the Bills do? They get on a plane, they go to London, and they can't function for basically three quarters against the Jacksonville Jaguars. And they come home with a loss. And now the Giants are standing there. You don't think Buffalo's looking at that schedule a little bit? giants this week then they go to the patriots the week after that the patriots who might be the worst team in the afc when all is said and done that hasn't been the case in what 30 years but might be reality folks buffalo's looking at this as two more wins we got to put in the win column and the giants are gonna be the first one standing in their way here's what i want tonight okay because i know that it's friday the 13th and you know kind of eerie connotations and all this. I, I don't want to get into that stuff. I don't want any of that. We're going to try to be rosy. We're going to try to be cheerful. We're going to try to be optimistic tonight, right? Let's spread some good cheer. So here's what I want. I want the Giant fan to tell me why, 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 why that you have any hope whatsoever that the Giants are going to be able to keep this thing close and interesting on Sunday. Here, here, here's what I'm asking, okay? Here's what I'm asking. We got the 4 o'clock game this week. When I say 4 o'clock, the Jets. Okay, we got the 425 kick over at MetLife. So the game will go until probably about 730, which means Buttle and I are on the air doing the postgame show from the coaches club. I would say in the neighborhood of 930, we'll probably be done somewhere around there. By the time we walk out, we get to the car. I'll probably be sitting in my car 940, 945, something like that, getting ready to drive home. OK, so at that point in the Sunday night game, you know, you're approaching halftime. So here's what I'm asking. Tell me how. When Grassa gets in the car on Sunday night, leaving MetLife Stadium, why that game is even going to be one worth turning on the radio? Because I got choices. I got choices. A, I could go with no radio and just like to decompress, no sound which is what I do on occasion, especially after a long day. I mean, those, those football games, those are long days. It's a lot of talking, a lot of hours, interacting with a lot of folks. Sometimes I just need to zone out, and I drive home in silence. Okay, so I got that as an option. Number two, I can listen to the Giant game if it's worthwhile. Number three, I got game one of the ALCS Rangers-Astros, an 8 o'clock first pitch. I could put that on as well and stay up to date with the baseball, or I could do music. But let's just say the Giants are the path. Tell me why the Giants are going to be appointment listening, driving home on Sunday night. 800-919-3776. That is the telephone number. It is a football Friday. Buttle, Renan, Picks, your phone calls. We'll sprinkle in some baseball and hockey as well, because, you know what, that's part of the mix, 100%. We'll do the Giants, and then we come back, we'll also talk about the Jets. Because the task probably isn't as daunting this week for the Jets, but they are going up against a pretty damn good team, a team that was in the Super Bowl last year, and a team that hasn't lost a game yet this season. How can they get it done? Well, it's a good place you came, because we got all the answers for you. Dan Gross' show, it is a football Friday. We're coming right back on 98.7 ESPN. Last one for them before the bye week. And remember, the goal at the beginning of the season, even when Aaron Rodgers was the QB, was to get to the bye week at 3-3. Three and three, Right? Because the schedule was a gauntlet. Right? It looked murderous. Well, everything that this team has been through, from losing Aaron Rodgers four plays into the season, to the ups, the downs, Zach Wilson's success, Zach Wilson's struggles, all the other issues that cropped up along the way, They're 60 minutes away from getting to the bye at 3-3. Mission accomplished. But it's a tall order in front of them because the NFC champs are coming into MetLife Stadium this week. And NFC champs who have yet to lose a game this year. And oh, by the way, if you're a big fan of history, the Philadelphia Eagles have never, ever, ever, did I say ever? Lost to the New York Jets. Or if you want to put it in other terms, the Jets have never beaten the Philadelphia Eagles in the history of the franchise. They played 12 times. The Eagles have won them all. Don't ask me why. I can't explain it. Okay? This has been going on for 50 years. That was the first time they played each other, 50 years ago. Now, Buttle's coming on a little bit later on in the show. We could bust his chops because I think he was responsible for two of them. He played in two of those games. So we'll blame him for the, those two, but then you have to still explain away the 10 other ones. I was at one as a kid in 1993 at, at the old stadium. They were destroying the eagles like it might have been 24 to 6 or something like that like it was one of those like oh this is a win johnny mitchell the tight end had three touchdown passes from or three touchdown catches from boomer that day and little by little the eagles fought their way back fought their way back with rich kotite as their head coach and then boomer throws a pick six to eric allen remember the old corner eric allen and he spinned and twisted and turned and pirouetted and, you know, ran all over the field. He must have ran about four miles, returning that kick 90-something yards for the back breaking and pick six in the fourth quarter. One of the worst losses I remember as a kid. But anyway, all that goes out the window if he can go out there on Sunday and take care of business. And it's a great test. It's the second Super Bowl team you're playing in three weeks. Now, we know the last time that a Super Bowl team came in here, which was Kansas City, prime time. Nobody gave the Jets a shot. Chiefs were the main story. Taylor Swift was second on the bill. Maybe it was the other way around even. And then somewhere down the bottom, you had the Jets. Like, oh, by the way, they got invited too. Like the old Rocky line, right? He don't know it's a damn show. He thinks it's a damn fight. That was the Jets that night. They came to win that game, almost won the game. I don't know if it's going to take that kind of an effort to beat Philadelphia on Sunday, but it's going to have to be pretty close. But you did get a little bit of a reprieve today when you saw the injury report for the Philadelphia Eagles. No Jalen Carter. Their stud rookie defensive lineman from Georgia, a guy who, if not for the the off-the-field stuff, probably would have been... One of the top two picks in the draft. Top two or three. And the Eagles end up getting him at nine. You talk about the rich getting richer, and he's been nothing short of sensational. But Jalen Carter's not playing. Injured his ankle in practice on Wednesday. He's ruled out for Sunday. Darius Slay, Pro Bowl corner. A guy who's known to pick off a pass or two. Not playing on Sunday. So those are two big pieces to that defense that aren't going to be around. Now the Jets, on the other hand, remember, this is going to be another new look offensive line Arrangement for them on Sunday because Elijah Vera Tucker's down for the count with the Achilles. So Max Mitchell's going to be first guy up here at right tackle, so it appears. You know, they're not going to give anything away, but that's what we're thinking because Mitchell was the guy who went in immediately and filled in for him on Sunday in Denver after he got hurt. Philadelphia's got the number one rush defense in the NFL. Okay, it's hard to churn out yards on the ground against this team, but those numbers are a little misleading. You know, and if you watch this team and you watch Philly a little bit, the run numbers are down because teams have had success throwing the football against them. Look at what Sam Howell and the freaking commanders did against Philadelphia in their building. So if you're breaking down the film of the Eagles and you're saying, geez, boy, we got, you know, these monsters up front, you know, but we think we should be able to attack them a little bit and find some holes in that secondary, that's how you're going to do it. So from a Jets perspective, yes, I know you got Brees Hall, and yes, you feel good about your running game, but... This might be a game where you maybe put a little bit more again on Zach Wilson's plate and say, all right, kid, go out there, and make your throws. Make your throws just like you did two weeks ago against the Kansas City Chiefs in that building. Why not? You know, Philadelphia's defense, though, they shut out the Rams in the second half of their win last week out in L.A., and I thought that was a good performance by them. I thought the Rams were actually going to maybe even steal that game. But Philadelphia made the halftime adjustments, and they rose to the occasion. No D.J. Reed again again this week for the Jets. No Brandon Eccles. Justin Hardy, their ace special teamer, is not going to be able to play too. So what does that mean? It means Bryce Hall is going to have to play again, and we know he was Johnny on the spot at the end of that game Sunday, picking up that fumble, taking it to the house for the touchdown. He gets another start. And missing Justin Hardy means, you know, you're going to have to have some wiggle room there with special teams. So Irv Charles will probably be up again, which – I don't know if that leaves a roster spot on game day for McCall Hartman again, because McCall Hartman doesn't play special teams. They may try to get another guy up here who can at least play teams for you. That's why it's valuable to have multiple roles here for some of these players. But offensively, the Eagles are a pain in the neck. You know, Jalen Hurts, we know what Jalen Hurts is. DeAndre Swift has been a beast running the football this year. Two wide receivers are outstanding. Their offensive line is as good as any in the National Football League. It might be the best. So the Jets are going to have their hands full this week. But think about 3-3 three and three going into the bye. Any Jet fan would have signed up for that three weeks ago. Especially walking off the field after that New England disaster. But even if you come up short, and even if you're 2-4 and four going into the bye, there's still a lot to play for. Season is not over. Remember, you're coming out of the bye. You're playing the Giants. You're playing the Chargers. You're playing the Raiders. You mean you can't win those games? And that would be five and four. And that means you're firmly in the mix in the month of November. And look, I understand you got to go out there and get it done on the field. And that's ultimately what you're going to be measured on. But I will say this, and you could file this one away. You could take it with a grain of salt. Do as you choose. But for somebody who's in that room, you know, and, and, and has a good relationship with a lot of the guys, there's something different that I've noticed over the last couple of weeks with the quarterback. You know, I don't, I'm not going to sit here and claim that I know him very well. I don't. You know, we have a you know, good relationship. We chat in the room, stuff like that. But just talking to him the last couple of weeks, I see a difference. You know, I understand that that doesn't mean anything when it's third and eight and, you know, the blitz is coming and you got to stare it down and deliver the football to move the chains and make a big play. I, I get all that stuff. But just talking to him seems more confident, seems more in control with his status in the room as the quarterback, as now the de facto leader with Aaron Rodgers still rehabbing that Achilles. As I said, I don't know if that translates to anything on the field. You know, played really good against Kansas City. Played okay against Denver, right? Got to clean up some things. You know, the red zone first and foremost. You're not going to beat the Eagles kicking five field goals. But maybe he's a little bit more confident in where he is right now in his career with this football team in that locker room. And maybe it translates out into the field on Sunday. That's all I'm saying. But it was an observation that I picked up on just having conversations with him. 800 3776 We hear from you next. Dan Gross' show on a football Friday, 98.7 ESPN. Do not drive off the road with this big news. DPAtro and Rothenberg. Morning, 6 to 10. I'll give it to you whenever you want it. W-E-P-N-F-M. New York. This. This is the Dan Gross' show. On 98.7 ESPN. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any 8-corner pizza with code 8Save. That's the number 8 SAVE. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Must be 21-plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. we at Dan Gross's where you can tweet away at us. Giants going to Buffalo. Jets hosting the Philadelphia Eagles. I know usually it's the other way around with those teams. But nevertheless, out-of-conference football is good for the soul, and that's what's next up for both the locals coming up this weekend. Now it's time to hear from you. You know how we presented it. Give me some gimme some faith. Give me give me a glimmer that the Giants could keep this thing interesting coming up on Sunday. That's what we want to hear. And of course the Jets, their state of affairs closing out strong going into the bye week. Let's start it off with Tommy in Connecticut up first here on 98.7 ESPN. Tommy, how are you?
1: Daniel, good evening, bud.
0: Thomas, how's things?
1: So before I get into this weekend, uh I, I kind of want to equate the uh, the false hope that the Giants fans like myself got into because we made the playoffs last year. It's almost like you know you get you get the family or you get your friends together to to go to the Fourth of July fireworks, and then some yo yo like around the corners like shoots off one on his own, and you think it's starting. That's 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 <laughs> what I'm thinking. You know that that feels like you know. It's I like hate the main people defense. that shoot off Not the
0: fireworks right. like on the 5th of July, on the 6th of July, on the 7th of July, that just can't let it go. And then it aggravates all the pets and the dogs start barking, and then it just disturbs you. That's my big pickle with the 4th of July festivities. But I see your point.
1: I feel it. And then as far as going, going up against Buffalo this weekend, I, I almost thought they should have pulled uh, DeVito up off the practice squad because it, no matter who's behind center, it, it, they're just they're going to be running for their life, and it's like a, you know Tyrod Taylor is a good backup quarterback. I'd like to have him for the whole year.
0: Well, you know the thing about it too, Tommy, and and I was screaming about this earlier in the year. Some of those lopsided games, like the Dallas one, at the beginning of the season, um, you know the Seattle game, even late in the in the fourth quarter and stuff. I, like, what was the point of having Daniel Jones still in the football game, right? Because you could say, oh, well, he made it out of those games. Yeah, he made it out of those games. But those hits, you know, you take those with you into the following week. And sometimes you're not even going to be able to get up for them. And all the nonsense, oh, we tried to get something going. We wanted to get something positive going. Well, okay, you know what positive you got? Your quarterback is already down for the count by virtue of a TKO five games into the season. How about that? That's what you got. So whatever positives you were looking for, sometimes you just got to be smart about it. I mean, the Giants weren't winning those games, and 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 what good would it have been? You're down forty nothing to the Dallas Cowboys, so you lost forty to seven. You would have felt better about yourself instead of forty to nothing. You know, you lost to Seattle what twenty four to three. If if you got a field goal drive together, it would have been good twenty four to six. That would have made you feel better when you wake up in the morning, like it still would not have been an out and out disaster like the game was. I don't get it. Subi in Midtown is up next here on 98.7. Hello, Subi. How are you?
2: Hey, Dan. I just wanted to chime in on the Giants defense, and that's maybe a possibility of how they can force turnovers. And I was just really thinking about Kayvon Thibodeau. You know, if he can get two sacks, um, not every game, but like one, you know, in the season and force a fumble, that. That's a defensive touchdown, and essentially, that's what I was getting at with this team. And where, where's the personality on offense and defense? Because we know that Daniel Jones is limited as a pocket quarterback. Is that the mistake? Did they not have the where wherewithal to draft a pocket quarterback to begin with? And then, and they're still struggling with Gettleman's uh, draft picks of the past. That's all I got to say.
0: Sumi, thanks for the call. Here's the thing about Kayvon, real quick. He's actually played pretty well the last few weeks. He's got four sacks in the last three games. Now, I know that I, when you're on the lopsided end of some of these losses, it doesn't stand out too much, but he's actually done a halfway decent job. Now, you can mention the Dave Gettleman draft choice is all you want. And I mentioned this earlier in the week, I think it was, before we had our little uh, two-day vacation. It's not time yet to sit here and start pushing the panic button and to calling anybody out because – I'm a big proponent. I'm a big believer, right? Death taxes, and you got to give a draft at least three years to marinate, to gel or to not gel, before you can honestly and truly evaluate whether or not it's a good draft class. So I'm not going to sit here and hold anybody's feet to the fire just yet, but it's called like it is. Have Joe Shane's draft classes – His first two drafts as the Giants general manager paid dividends in any way whatsoever yet. Have they? Like, what guys to you have stood out over the first two drafts of Joe Shane? And remember, one of those drafts was, like, obnoxiously large. They had, like, 15 picks or something close to that, remember? So, give it time. I'm not sitting here saying that, you know, they should move on. Not even close to that. No way, no how. Yeah, the first draft class he had last year, he had, let's see, 11 11 picks, right? But some of these guys need to start popping here. You got to start seeing some returns. You know, Kayvon Thibodeau, finally, over the last few games, he's starting to flash like you expected him to. Great, if that's the case, all right, step in the right direction. Everybody else, where's the contribution? Remember, his second highest pick in terms of just slotting the draft, is Evan Neal. Mr. Flipping Burgers and Flipping Hot Dogs. And how's that worked out? He couldn't block me. And I even have, like, this quad thing that's kind of been tugging the last couple of days, and I even went out, like, running earlier today, but it's still, I I, I don't know what it is. Like, and I stretch and everything, too. Like, I'm I'm usually, like, cautious about it because I'm not no spring chicken anymore. You know, I'm not 21, so I got to be careful. But I could probably get around Evan Neal. He's a turnstile. Sometimes he doesn't block anybody. You know, the corners. The guys that they had real good summers. You know, hey, let's let's throw him a starting spot. You know, the Trey Hawkins of the world. And I understand that he's a sixth-round pick, and, you know, you don't want to get too carried away. But now we've seen the last couple of weeks that maybe it was a little too much too soon. The question becomes with the Giants, not even so much the draft, but just depth in general. And you could go out there and sign depth courtesy of free agency, right? You don't have to spend, like, gazillions of dollars and bust your salary cap, but you could go out there and bring in veterans, capable guys who maybe aren't, like, week-to-week starters anymore in this league, but guys who, in a pinch, you could throw them in there and you'd still feel pretty darn good about your chances. You'd feel okay if they had to start a couple of games. Where are all those guys for the Giants? And he can't tell me it's just because they're all getting hurt. You know, Mark Lewinsky was a guy who they signed in free agency a couple of years ago, and he's a guy that they literally are looking for anybody to put in a game before they have to play him. Like, he's been demoted, 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 and demoted some more. That's not why spending. Iron Staten Island is up next here on 98.7 ESPN. Hello, Ira. How are you?
3: Hey, good evening, Dan. How are you? Excellent. And, uh, looking forward, looking forward to this game, and hope that quad heals on you. Um, you know, <laughs> oh, we're, you, know I, you know what?
0: We're probable for Sunday. How about that? We're probable.
3: Yeah, that, that sounds good. I, I know yes. you're going to get it out. I expect you to. <laughs> <laughs> so, so for Sunday, you know what's funny? Even well, going into the season, I was locked in that we're going to beat the Bills. After that, even with Rodgers didn't get hurt, I didn't like the Cowboy game. We know yeah. what happened with the Jets season, okay? The Patriot game, I didn't trust Zach against Belichick. I think the coaches put made it more difficult for him. Even last week, I wasn't convinced they're going to beat the Broncos. Call me crazy, I think they're going to beat the Eagles this Sunday, finally. And when you were talking about that 93 game, I was getting, like, flashbacks of the Johnny Mitchell touchdowns, like you mentioned, and the Eric mm-hmm. Allen return, the boomer pick, it was just... It, it's time to beat this team. Do you remember in 03? I, I think it was '03. Pennington broke his wrist in the, the yep. giant preseason game. Came
0: back for that game.
3: Her, right. And But Vinny starts it, yep. and then her pulls him out and puts yep. the Chad in, and they end up losing that game. But the, 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 listen, you've you got to let the kid play them, uh, Sunday. You can't play scared. If, if Salah's going to go into this game – and saying, let's keep it close, just, you know, ground it out, run, hope our defense makes a big play, and maybe we win a 16, 13, 17, 14 type of game. It's not going to work. They have to attack the Eagles. They, and you know what? Because if you could going to lose, you might as well lose trying And send, uh, besides play, coaching scared. Go out there. I'm not saying you have to throw 40 passes, but you have to loosen up that defense attack down the field, and if if they have some success with that, the running game will open up. And then I think they have a legitimate shot, and I do believe they're going to beat the Eagles this Sunday.
0: Ira, look, everything you said, there's a possibility it can happen. I'm not going to sit here and say that you're crazy. No way, no how. And I thank you for the phone call. Look, it's about time, right? It's only been 50 years, 12 games. It's about time they finally beat this team. Finally. And I understand the cast of characters changes from year. I, I get all that stuff. But for 12. I mean, enough is enough. And I know this Eagles team is really good. I get it. But to the point that Ira was making, offensively, I just don't want to see them play this game in a phone booth. Right? Open it up. Use the field. Attack downfield. Because look at what happened last week. When they got down to the red zone against the Broncos, they were 0 for 5. So when the field shrunk, for some reason, the offense didn't operate as efficiently as it did. You know, they were great moving the football between the 20s. But once they got inside that red zone, things seemed to stifle up on them. They can ill afford to have that happen come again on Sunday. You're not going to beat the Philadelphia Eagles kicking field goals instead of putting the ball in the end zone. Just not going to happen. 800-919-3776. More of your calls. Grasso Show, Football Friday, 9870 SPN. This is the Dan Grasse Show on 98.7 ESPN.
1: Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting to
0: your happy place for a happy price go to your happy price Priceline. line you know you look around the week around the NFL that is there's a lot I mean there is a an inordinate amount of games which if Vegas has their say they are just going to be absolutely one-sided normally you don't get this many in one week but you got three games already where the spread is double digits. You got San Francisco going into Cleveland, and they're a double digit favorite because the Browns don't have Deshaun Watson this week. They're going to be taking on P.J. Walker and the Cleveland Browns. Cleveland's got a good defense, so maybe they'll come to play and keep this one in check here. But, uh, I mean, I just can't see them doing much offensively, especially since their ground game uh, took a huge, huge hit with Chubb going down for the season a few weeks back there. So you got San Francisco. Going into Cleveland is a 10-point favorite. You got Miami at home against the winless Carolina Panthers. They're a two-touchdown favorite at minus 14. And then, of course, you got Buffalo, a 15-point favorite right now against the Giants on Sunday Night Football up there uh, in Orchard Park. So maybe you get a couple of good games this week. Maybe not. You never know. But on paper, not quite the best slate of games. Not quite. But you do get another London game, too, this week with Baltimore and Tennessee, what is this, like the third week in a row we've had a London game? See, I'm, maybe I'm in the minority on this one. I'm not the biggest fan of the London games. I really never have been because, and I consider myself a pretty damn big football fan, right? But how much football can a person take seriously in a given day? Unless you have absolutely nothing to do with your life. But even consuming the London game means you have to wake up early, early, You have to sit there and park yourself on the couch, you know, 9 o'clock in the morning for a few hours. Sometimes the game bleeds right into the 1 o'clock games, and then boom, you're right there then. Then you have the 4 o'clock games, then you got the 8 o'clock games. I mean, I don't know if you have time to get up and go to the bathroom or to get something to eat or whatever it is you do. But, you know, it's a lot to consume. And that there's even times by, like, the Sunday night games where I'm kind of a little bit footballed out. Like, this is back in the day, you know, before I started doing the Jets and everything. When I would just sit home, like, you're watching six straight hours of football. Like, by the time you get to the night, you're like, "Uh, uh, you know, I'm kind of good, you know. And, And unfortunately, they like to schedule the Sunday nighter as the biggest game of the day. Like, that's the one you can ill afford to miss. So now when you throw another viewing window on top of that with these London games, and generally they're not always the best games, right? I don't know. A little bit of overkill, in my opinion, but it's not going anywhere because there's money to be made. And if there's money to be made, you know what? They're going to keep doing it. Jose is in Brooklyn. He's up next here on 9870 ESPN. Hello, Jose. How are you? good
2: afternoon dan and shout out to the company and I, i'm doing great and i was just you know listening earlier and i was laughing because um ira pretty much you know reminded us all of the story that i i wanted to talk to you about and so that, that was kind of funny and um so I guess great minds do think alike in that. Oh, you mean
0: you mean that o so. three the o three Eagles game is that oh, he was talking about? Yes,
2: because I, yeah. I I, I will always remember that because I was just like they still kind of semi had a chance in that season to do a little bit of push. Vinny kinda did his job in making that team competitive, even though it was still, you know, there was still a lot of leaky faucets in that in that defense. And, you know, McNabb was I I think, you know, was a very underrated quarterback that people
0: didn't respect at that time. But um That was that was you know what you're right, because that we you know, Vinny Chad broke his wrist in, in, in preseason. Vinny played the first, I think it was, like, six games. Like, that Eagles game was somewhere around, like, the middle of October. Like, right around, like, this time of year, kind of. And, you know, Chad was getting closer. And I remember, for, like, you think coaches are paranoid now about not telling you anything about injuries. Like, Herm Edwards basically told yeah. you, no, Chad's going to play, but I'm not telling you when he's going to play, you know, mm-hmm. to keep the Eagles exactly. guessing. Right? So, mm-hmm. so, Vinny started the game, and I think he played like into the second quarter. I think Vinny even threw a touchdown pass already in the game. Like, the Jets were in the game, and then Chad came in and started slinging it around pretty good. But then I remember he made a mistake, and that Eagles yep. team was good. Remember, they were a year mm-hmm. away from going to the Super Bowl. They were still a good oh. team at that point. Yeah, lost. And and they, uh, they were they lost.
2: consistently in the conference championship. Yeah, oh, so, yeah. yeah no. so there, there you go. Yeah, so- so yeah, I, I remember, so yes, yeah, so I, I I do thank um, Ira for being you know the long resident Jets fan for reminding us of that. And um, just to I, I, um, for my point as for the Jets, I think the best thing for them is for is for if Zach Wilson. In order for them to win, they he he has to have more of the game that he had with the Chiefs than against the Broncos. Because I do think that this Eagles team is is, is very good. They're not that far off from that, you know, from that old 3 team. You know, they were just in the Super Bowl. And I do think that, you know, Jalen Hurts can give us a couple of mistakes. It's just more of will the offense be able to capitalize to keep us in that game and actually pull off the win. So that's what I just wanted to say, and um, thank you for your time, Dan.
0: Jose, be good. Appreciate the call as always. Yeah, the the offense is going to have to do their part. You cannot sit back. And just hope that Brees Hall breaks off a home run for you like he did last week. And that's going to be good enough to beat a team like the Philadelphia Eagles. It's not. It's not. You're going to probably have to score over 20 points in this game to find a way to win. Remember, Kansas City, you topped out at 20. And there were still some points you left out on the field that night. And we know about the fumble in the fourth quarter. And they never got the football back again. And, you know, the officials and all those other things. I get it. I get it. I get it. But. In the NFL nowadays, it's very, very hard to keep teams at bay, especially explosive teams like Philadelphia, to who, look, they were in the big game last year. You know, Philadelphia, I'm sure, when push comes to shove, that's a team that you also don't want to put in the hands of the officials. You don't. But Philly's actually been prone to making some mistakes on their own. I mean, that game, a couple of weeks, ironically, it was the same day that the Jets played Kansas City. You know, when Philadelphia played Washington at home that afternoon and the game went to overtime, I mean, that was not exactly Philadelphia's best effort, really and truly. You know, giving up the game-tying touchdown pass on the final play of the game and regulation, like just giving them chance after chance after chance. I mean, there's just some ill-time penalties in that game, I remember, for Philadelphia. Philadelphia had 11 penalties in that game. So they are prone to being undisciplined at times. Question is, are you going to be able to keep your composure, do your thing? Muhammad's in Long Island. He's up next here on ninety eight seven. What's up, Muhammad? How are you?
1: What's going on, Dan? Always love the show. Love your energy, man. Um, and and I and I normally agree with you on most things, but mm-hmm. I, the 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 Jets organizationally, right? You would say the streak against the Patriots was ten times worse than what we are dealing with with uh, the Eagles, right? And of course, organizationally, we couldn't we couldn't even, you know, we couldn't do that. We couldn't accomplish that. So I'm trying to figure out where all these Jets fans getting this optimism that, hey, this streak is going to end and things. I, I don't see it. Now, granted, Brees Hall is getting better every week. And granted, uh, Zach Wilson has shown some strides in the past two weeks. But I don't think it's enough to really I, – I, we want to win so bad. I get it. We're desperate for at least a decent season. But where in any of the statistics do we see us being able to beat maybe the second Best team in the NFL right now. That was the point I wanted to make, but I also wanted to say this in reference to the uh, in reference to the nine thirty games. Yeah, I'm somebody who gets up and I can't wait for football Sunday. And I, I and I'm here in Long Island, so I gotta wait till one o'clock, right? The nine thirty games gives me when I if I wake up 8 o'clock in the morning, I don't have to wait long to get started for football. You know what I mean? So that's that. I love the. So you nine get games. into it. It's you like you like the game. London
0: game. It's not usually a good game, but I am excited just to watch the NFL, you know, if, if, if that makes sense. No, it does. I, I mean, look, I get it. And, that, look, that's why, it's one of the reasons why the NFL goes out there and has it, because they know that they're going to have an audience for it. Look, I'm not naive. I know that gambling is a huge part of the way people consume the NFL, and that's another game you can bet on too, Muhammad. How about some cornflakes and some parlays? You know what I mean? Exactly, man. Exactly. Thanks for taking my call, man. Dan, appreciate you. Yeah, I mean, look, it's it, it it goes without saying. It's obvious, but it's just I don't know. See, my routine, like if I've got, if we have, you know, a bye week, or if we don't have a jet game, or you know, a late game, or something like that. General, or, or how about this? My off-season Sunday routine. My off-season Sunday routine is, you know, maybe sleeping a little bit, right? Wake up, go run some errands, get that out of the way in the morning, get breakfast, right? Nice cup of coffee perhaps or something like that. And then just come home and chill out. Take it nice and easy. Like I'm not ready to immediately get absorbed into a football game, especially one which is across the pond, right? It's good for those people over there. Let them enjoy it. Fantastic. You know what it is? It's essentially like us watching the 930 football game, That's essentially what people who live on the West Coast deal with each and every Sunday when the football for them starts at 10 o'clock in the morning. And I just can't, like, I I get it, but I try to put myself in those shoes. I don't know if I could do that consistently. I mean, I'll be honest with you. Even on Saturdays for college football, those games start at 12 o'clock in the afternoon, like high noon, right? You got the 12 o'clock window? That's even... Kind of a little premature for where I'm ready to fully just like sit down and be invested in all these football games. It's a weekend. Right. You're trying to unwind from the week a little bit. You're still clearing out the cobwebs. But it's all good. You know, once in a while. But consistently, I, I, I don't know if I could do it. I don't know if I could pull it off. 800-919-3776, more of your calls. And did you see what's happened the last couple of days in the baseball playoffs? To where teams that win 100 games during the season, hell, they don't even want to advance to the league championship series. Why is that? We'll get into it when we return. Remember, Buddle at 8 o'clock, Jordan at 8.30, Picks. It's a football Friday. Dan Grasso Show, 98.70 ESPN. This is the Dan grosser Show. On 98.7 ESPN. Remember, our coverage will get underway on Sunday from MetLife Stadium. 2.25 is our pregame show. Buddle and myself, Jets-Eagles, last game before the bye. Let's see, who's going to join us this week? Vinny Testaverde is going to join us this week on site. That's right. Vinny T, number 16, going to join us. Uh, I'll go one-on-one with Mikai Becton and Bryce Huff couple of stalwarts there on both uh sides of the offensive and defensive lines respectively tweeted out a couple of pictures when we did the interviews and and um beckton is a massive human being it goes without saying and you know i try to give him some tips as to you know how to handle his size and strength and the leverage because you know it's easy to be intimidated for somebody like my size sitting you know next to beckton i mean from from his standpoint so i i tried to put him at ease as best as possible when we were doing that interview but uh (laughs) <laughs> it's like, you look at the picture, it's just like, oh my gosh, the dude is huge. He is enormous, but he's a good dude. He really is, and it's good to see him getting his legs underneath him and you know just going out there and playing football, because if he is dependable, and if he is going to answer the bell week in and week out, that's better for the Jets. Better for the Jets, better for him, and it's better for everybody involved when you're talking about that offensive line. Eight hundred nine one nine three seven seven six. Now, as far as the baseball is concerned, we're down to the final four. And I understand, look, I know the first round there with the wild cards, they were basically all sweeps and, didn't, and, and, and left a lot to the imagination. And you went into this postseason this year with three teams that won 100 games or more. You had the Dodgers, you had the Braves, and you had the Baltimore Orioles. None of the three are going to be in the respective league championship series. Okay, Why is that? Why, 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 why is that? That's a good question. And everybody has a theory, and everybody has an opinion as to why these teams go through an entire season, a marathon. And look, the baseball season is a marathon like no other is. You play 162 of these. And when you accomplish things like that, when you win 104 games like the Atlanta Braves, and then win one game in the postseason, how is that explainable? Well... The law of averages for one, you know, like look at this series, for example, and this is, this is, you know, the harm sometimes, the risk reward of a best of five, even a best of seven for that matter. But in this case, we're talking about a best of five, best of five, you get swept. It's essentially a three game series. Even the best teams all throughout the season get swept in three games and they might be playing one of the also rands. It happens. Four games, you might lose three out of four, even against an inferior team. It happens. But in this case, it just stinks for those clubs that it's the playoffs. And there is no turning back, and your season is over. It's a crapshoot, whatever analogy you want to use. Now, the Dodgers, unfortunately for them, this has kind of been their thing, right? They've won the division how many years in a row? Well, the Giants won it a couple of years ago, but Dodgers are there either winning 100 games close to it or winning the National League West for about like the last seven, eight years. And the only championship they have to show for it is the Fugazi 60-game championship during the COVID year in 2020, right, where there were no fans, neutral sites in the playoffs, the whole nine yards. The Braves, now look, you could call them choke artists, call them whatever you want. But the Braves won a World Series a couple of years ago, like a legit World Series with 162-game season and everything. And they've had really, really good seasons following up in 22 and 23, but they come up short in the playoffs. Why is that? And then Baltimore, look, I'm less shocked about Baltimore because this is their first go-round as a group. And I've been saying this for as long as you and I have known each other. The Baltimore Orioles are going to be a pain in the ass in the American League East for the next five, six years. You watch. You know, that is the team to buy stock in. Forget about the Yankees. Forget about Tampa. Forget about Toronto. Forget about Boston. Baltimore is already positioned. They're there already. They're a 100-win team. They're a division champ. Baltimore is going nowhere. But this was this group's first foray into postseason baseball. They'll learn from it. They'll get better. But how do you explain these other teams? Now, if you're a big fan of parity, like... The NFL likes to preach. All right. This Final Four has a little bit of everything. You got the two teams that were in the World Series last year, and the Houston Astros and the Philadelphia Phillies. And then you have a couple of other teams that just two years ago both lost over 100 games in the Texas Rangers and the Arizona Diamondbacks. And what's interesting about it is with those two clubs in particular, Texas went about it one way. Arizona went about it another Arizona didn't panic Arizona didn't blow it up like earlier we were talking about Brian Dayball remember like earlier in the week about could you ever see a scenario where you know Dayball could lose his job at the end of the year if this is like a 2-15 season for the Giants or something catastrophic Arizona lost 110 games two years ago you know what they did they stood by their manager Torrey Lavello stood by him I told you guys when I was doing the baseball shows that summer, that season, Torrey was a weekly. Great guy. Super guy. He would come on every week. But by the time we got to, like, late August and into September, when obviously you were at the point of no return, it got to the point where we weren't even talking about, like, his team when he would call in each week. Like, you couldn't even ask him any questions about your t- It's like, hey, so um, I saw you guys won a game last week. What was that like? Like You couldn't talk specifically about the Diamondbacks, but you know what? The organization didn't bat an eye. They believed in the power structure, the people they hired, the people in charge. They believed in the organization and the farm system and what they were building. And voila, two years later, they're four wins away from the World Series. And this was an organization, by the way, that punted on Madison Bumgarner earlier this year. They ate the money. And it was a bad contract at the time. We knew it, but they had to overpay him to maybe give some credibility to the franchise and what they were building, and he'd be that elder statesman. It didn't work out. He was terrible. But you know what? Even the Diamondbacks said, We'll eat the money because he's not helping us, and he's standing in the way of young players that could possibly benefit us more moving forward. That's them. Texas, on the other hand, Texas decided to change managers going into this season, right? And they went big game hunting. They got Bruce Bochy off the couch. Bruce Bochy was a future Hall of Famer, won three World Series with the San Francisco Giants, one of the most respected managers over the last 25 years in baseball. And Bruce Bochy was not going to come back to manage unless his team had a legitimate chance to win a championship, and that's what Texas sold them on. And over the last two offseasons, too, Texas went out there and they spent like drunken sailors. Two off-seasons ago, they signed Corey Seager. They signed Marcus Simeon. They gave those guys a half a billion dollars combined to man the, mi- the middle of the infield for them. Then this past off-season, they went out and they spent money on pitching. They gave Jacob DeGrom a ton of money. And Jacob DeGrom's not even here. They signed John Gray. They signed Nathan Avaldi, right? So now they got the pitching staff. They got the manager. And their offense was still going to be okay. They could score runs. They just couldn't stop anybody. And this year, it all came together under Bochy's watch but there were some ups and downs they were leaking oil late in the season their pitching staff was in tatters with all the injuries but they got healthy at the right time and now you know they made those trades for Jordan Montgomery and for Max Scherzer at the deadline and now I don't know if you guys saw this Scherzer is actually going to be ready to make a start for crying out loud in the American League Championship Series now I don't know how much he's going to contribute but that's the scary thought for Mets fans Max Scherzer and Jacob DeGrom are, are eight wins away from getting a World Series ring with the Texas Rangers. Either Max Scherzer or Justin Verlander are going to be in the World Series this year, and they began as New York Mets. When it rains, it pours. Okay, so that's one way to build a team. Philadelphia, we know they're good. They were just in the World Series last year, but they got better. And that was a team that's built for the postseason, right? Right? You beef up your bullpen. You make sure you have flexibility. You got an offense that could score runs. All those things define the Philadelphia Phillies, and they got an outrageous home field advantage here at Citizens Bank Park. Insane. Houston, they had to play essentially to the very end of the season because they were fighting tooth and nail. Houston went into the final weekend of the regular season in Arizona, ironically enough, against the Diamondbacks. Houston had three potential outcomes. They could win the AL West. They can make it as a wild card, or they could miss out of the playoffs altogether if things didn't go their way that final weekend. So they had to play to the very end. And even though they had that first round bye, they were still kind of already playing playoff games dating back the last few weeks. Same thing with Texas, maybe to a lesser extent Philadelphia, but Arizona, the same thing. Arizona was competing for the playoffs. So three out of the four teams that are still alive, had essentially been playing meaningful baseball for about the last month. Maybe more. Now, what about these teams that crashed out like the Atlanta Braves? First and foremost, people in our neck of the woods, I don't think anybody's feeling sorry for the Atlanta Braves. Um, You know, their media in particular. You got a large set of homers down there. They're the first ones to call out any other team or organization or fan base or media or anything when something is anti-Brave. Like, you heard those announcers complaining constantly about something that players do against the Atlanta Braves. Like, they'll sit up there in the broadcast booth like the old man on the lawn, get off my lawn. So that's just the way they are. So nobody's shedding any tears that the Braves aren't part of this thing. Secondly, you wonder, how did this happen? Well, talking to some people that cover the game, that have been around that Atlanta Braves team this year in the clubhouse. I've heard on more than one occasion that that Braves clubhouse lacked leadership this year, and that's despite the fact they won 104 games during the regular season. But when you got to this part of the year, playing these type of games, that's when your leaders have to come through. That's when you have to have the voice in the dressing room to be able to get you through these tough times. And they don't have that guy anymore or those guys anymore. Freddie Freeman is wearing a Dodger uniform. He's not in Atlanta anymore. Right? Not there. I know that Freddie Freeman's team kind of crashed out in the, first, or in the playoffs too here, but nevertheless, he was part of that Braves team that won a World Series a couple of years ago. And yeah, they have an immense amount of talent, and yeah, they have uh, uh, they are in a position to where they are going to be in the conversation for years and years and years to come. But who is the voice in that clubhouse, right? Instead, everything that came out of that clubhouse was because the shortstop called out Bryce Harper. was having fun with Bryce Harper because he got picked off to end game number two, which is the biggest bunch of you-know-what. The way that this whole thing is being reported, the way it's evolving over the last couple of— it is it, it, it's mind-boggling to me, mind-boggling. And for those that don't know, game two in Atlanta— Bryce Harper got doubled off of first base for the final out of the game. Michael Harris made an unbelievable catch. Harper was a little aggressive on the bases, got picked off trying to get back to first base. So after the game in the clubhouse, which was littered with media, cameras were rolling, microphones were on, Orlando Arcee of the shortstop, you know, basically just said out loud, attaboy, Harper, attaboy, Harper, you know, getting excited that his team won. So there was a member of the media who tweeted this out, who was in the locker room, which he has every right to do. Like I said, fair game cameras on mics on it's not like that was an off-the-record conversation he was having with somebody else no that's public information he decided to put it out there and then of course philadelphia sees this they use it as a rallying cry harper hits a couple of home runs in game three and both times he's rounding second base he stares down the shortstop orlando arcia which he has every right to do no punches were thrown the benches didn't clear nobody cares And Harper, when he was asked about it after the game, after game three, he said, Yeah, stared him down both times. You bet. Okay, so it was a little bit of fun. But then you got these other people in the media on their high horse who are gonna sit there and call out the, the, the guy who tweeted this out and reported this. Well, why? What's the big deal? He's in the clubhouse, he's got a credential, he's covering the game. It wasn't secretive information, it wasn't classified. This isn't the Pentagon Papers. Who the hell cares? This is just more drama and nonsense. And Look, this world, this field, this business. When I say business, I mean media. It's gotten bigger. Passage of time, it's grown exponentially. Technology has a tendency to do those type of things. There's more media now. We're past new media. There's new, 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 new media. And if you get information, you report something, who the hell cares where you're working for? It's still factual, at least you hope it is. And in this case, it was. I'm looking forward to these series, by the way. I know they're not going to do great ratings nationally. I mean, you got Philadelphia, you got the state of Texas, and you got Arizona. You know, the commissioner's office um, over there on 6th Avenue in New York City, they're probably sitting there with a bottle of bleach ready in case they have a Rangers-Diamondbacks World Series because about five people are going to be watching it on Fox. That's the last thing that they want to have happen. But it still doesn't mean it's not going to be good baseball. And we'll see if it gets there. 800 your calls. And a good start for the hockey locals, too. Dan Gross's show, 9870 SPN.